What's cool about Scripture is it doesn't really let us boast in our own pride. Like it doesn't let us boast in, in our own works and our own good because that's not what it's about. This is there's something bigger at play here. There's something grander in the works. We as men and women, and it was Adam and Eve, got got used to get to walk through the Garden of Eden with God. For all of us who say, why, why can't we see him right now? Like, why can't we see him today? It was that way. Like it was. In the original heaven, in the Garden of Eden. In the original plan. So, Going Up is our series that we're in. We started with Philippians 3, 7-14. through 14. Today we're going to look at what heaven is. Like, I don't know if you spent time in Scripture to say, okay, God, what am I looking forward to? Like, what do you have in store for us? And I promise you won't be sitting on a cloud with a harp, like, singing. Like, I, you won't be. I it's, heaven is going to be the most awesome place you've ever been. Like, think of the coolest vacation, coolest excursion, coolest mountain trip, most exhilarating rock concert like the best plate of food you've ever tasted on or off Kodiak Island, right? Maybe there's a debate happening in the future. The best plate of, I'll say Mexican, like guacamole, chips and salsa and enchiladas. Like, sorry, sorry, I had to do it. Well, that's what I'm looking forward to. Just, this is heaven. Like, and it's really, it's none of that, guys. Like, it's, it's we're going to talk about what scripture says heaven is. It is more amazing than you can imagine is my point. So last week we talked about, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's the Philippians 3, finishing at 14. Saul and Paul, who wrote this, was about talking about getting free from my past. It's garbage. Getting honest about where I am. That's when God took him to the... If you've never read this story in Acts, you have to read it. God literally takes Saul to the ground. Think of a wrestler, like a, a high school, senior year wrestler. Like he's already signed the contract for this huge college. Full ride. It's like, it's like one of us who've never wrestled in our life going up against that dude. Like how long do you think you'd last against that guy? take you to the mat in less than three seconds and have you pinned for the count. That's what happened when God took Saul, who we know as Paul, to the ground and said, enough, like enough of this self-righteous fill in the blank. Like I love you and I want to use you. And Paul responded, yes, Lord. Like immediately he knew, he knew when you got a, when you got a world class wrestler on your neck and your face is in the mat, you're like, all, all you can do is what is tap out at that point. You're like, I'm done. I'm just gonna admit it. Paul said, Yes, Lord, you've got my attention. We're pressing on towards the goal is the whole point of this message series going up. And the goal is heaven for eternity. That's the long term goal. But the goal right now while we're on this earth is heaven on earth. And we won't get it right. We won't be perfect. Like, you guys already know that. I won't, I won't say that again. Like, there's no perfect people in this room except for Christ. 
So what does heaven look like? This is going to be fun. This is Joni Erickson Tata. She says, heaven is our life's end, our journey's goal. It is the reason for going on. It is the rich repository of every single spiritual investment we make down here on earth. The fact is that very few of us think that very few of us think of our heart's home. We rarely think of heaven, even though ultimately it's the bottom line for why we are here. Like, and I know that sounds abstract, but let me say it again. In the beginning, God walked with Adam and Eve. Like he walked with him with them in perfection. And it was incredible and it was amazing. First Corinthians. Paul shares this about heaven. This is before what we're about to get into. So this is before. 1 Corinthians 2.9, Paul says, No eye has ever seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived. He's just telling us it's such a far stretch from what we can even imagine. What God has prepared for those who love him. So as I read through some of my favorite scriptures of heaven, you guys just take a look at the screens. Psalm 33, 13 describes, David describes this heaven is God's dwelling place. He is firmly seated on the throne. If you can imagine this. Jesus, it says, is at his right hand. And that's really, it's not a literal interpretation. It's talking about he is at a place of honor. Psalm 33, 13 says, From the heaven the Lord looks down and sees all of us, sees mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. He's forming our heart. Like we talked about that already. He forms the words that come out of our mouth. He directs those. He guides our steps. Like somehow, the God of the universe is sitting on a throne in the most incredible place you can imagine, waiting for the right time to just say, all right, it is finished, like it's done, it's time to bring you up here with me. In the meantime, he's forming our hearts. In the meantime, he's guiding everything that's happening here, even the bad, if you can believe it. He's allowing it for a purpose, for the trial, as we just talked about in First Peter. So another question I get is, especially from, from little kids kind of exploring Right when when you have that first loss of a pet at home, or first loss of a family member that you love, or someone in the community, and kids ask the best questions. They're like, "Where did Nana go?" Right? Or where did Maggie go? Right, the dog. Or where did I don't know a good name for a pet iguana. Maybe you guys have pet iguanas, right? Iggy. Right? Where did Iggy go? And you say, "Well." I don't have answers for all of our animals, but I do have answers for those of us with souls, those of us who profess to follow Christ. Where do Christians go when they die? Philippians 1, 21 through 22 says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, then this will mean fruitful labor for me. This is Paul. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. He lives for Christ while he's here on this earth. We live for Christ while we're here on this earth. What Leslie was describing, like it's, it's the best, most rewarding, most challenging thing that we'll ever do. And it, 
it, this doesn't even come close to a life with following Christ, a life of faith. Paul's choosing heaven. So this is one that you'll hear in a lot of kids' classrooms. So if you ever volunteer for our kids' ministry or children's ministry, and if he, how many people in here feel like I'm not really qualified yet for children's ministry? Like I don't know the Bible the way I should. And believe me, guys, like we give you all the tools for that. And it's actually the best place to go and learn Scripture because you get to start with the basics and the stories of, oh, this is what we believe. And I've heard that before. So let me read this one. My favorite children's scripture for talking about what heaven's like. This is from Jesus himself. John 14, 2 says, My father's house has many rooms, and if that were not so, would I have not told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? It is kind of a challenge to find photos here on earth that come close to like looking what heaven might be like. So when I read scripture, I, I read that the city of heaven where, where God's spirit resides, when we get there, it'll be like on this mountaintop. But the best thing I can get to, and I don't know about you guys, is like some sort of mountain resort hotel with water nearby. Anything around water for me is amazing. Like I, I'm at peace there. And if I can glance out and see the mountains, like that's heaven to me, right? We get a preview of this. But the Father's house has many rooms. He's just trying to describe how big it is. Will we get to explore the universe? Will we get to explore the galaxy somehow? Like, why else would have God have made it? So that's the little sci-fi tech nerd in me thinking that home base will be like heaven. But then, and Myra goes, Myra's not a sci-fi person. She goes, no, you won't be flying in ships across the galaxy in heaven. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Where does it not say that in Scripture? So, <laughs> she, she does not believe in Star Wars or for even a second or Star Trek. Like, she's, she thinks that's the silliest stuff that people ever put on, on TV. Paradise. What do you think of when you think paradise? Luke 23, 43 says this. Jesus answered them, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is written down from a physician who is really, Luke, who is really just trying to, trying to get Jesus' words to us in the matter-of-fact way. Jesus was talking to a thief that was hanging next to him on the cross who had never known God, like not even for a day. And all the thief had to say is, one of the worst, like, worst people on the planet back then that the Romans were crucifying as a punishment for his crime, he says, remember me. The thief said, remember me when you get to heaven. And Jesus says what? He says, I assure you, you'll be with me there today. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. It's, it is to us. It's immediate. It's heaven. So I can keep trying to describe to you from scriptures of the past, or we could go to the source, the actual only written account, first-person account of an eyewitness who went to heaven, the Apostle John. John was, he actually was self-proclaimed, which I thought was funny. I'm the one that Jesus loves. And I thought, I guess Jesus agreed with him because he put it in the Bible, so that means he agreed with him. But John says, I'm the one that Jesus loves. He got to hang out with Peter and with James 
to see most of all of Jesus' miracles. He, they got to hang out together, the three. Think of the three dudes who are always with Jesus. They got to see things that, that many other people didn't get to see. They call it the inner circle. They're your other two dudes sitting around the campfire. There are other two women that hang out with you at the coffee shop in the morning or in your home in the evening that you can share anything with and say, pray for me. I need your encouragement. Or, or I'm excited about this. Celebrate with me. That's the inner circle. So we're hearing from the inner circle with Christ, John himself. God somehow pulls him up into heaven and says, now is the time. We're in the book of Revelation 21, 1 through 8. He pulls him into heaven, and he says, now I want you to see what no one else has seen and shared. And now, which is interesting, because he told Paul, don't write any of this down. He said, John, I want you to write this down, because I want my future people to hear what heaven is like. Give it a little bit of grain of salt, because John is using words. He's using his best words to describe something he doesn't understand. Imagine being taken to another planet, seeing something completely foreign, and then having the job of writing it down for those of us left on this earth. Like, that's what John's doing here, but it's a literal first-person account. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Let me, John starts and says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. If you actually look at, which is confusing to me, I actually asked uh, even about this this week. I said, do you think there's literally no sea, no ocean, or no fish? Which is, unf- like, we can't even imagine that from Alaska, right? So digging a little bit more into the Hebrew and the different interpretations, it, it's not really talking about there's no ocean or no sea there. S- some people translate it as saying there's no more sin. There's no more suffering. There's no more separation between man and God. Think the difference of what God set up for the Garden of Eden when he walked with Adam and Eve compared to where we are now. There's a gulf. There's an enormous ocean between those two worlds, those two places. That's what the Hebrew actually says, the interpretation of no more sea. So I was actually kind of excited once I saw that because I'm like, "I, I love the sea. Like, I love the water. And then in verse 2, it says, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out out of the heaven from God, prepared as a, as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Again, this imagery, like he's, it's a little bit flowery. He is just trying to describe this incredible, this amazing, like beaming of light, like this glorious day. And the only words, the only picture John had was like my wedding day. It was, it was as good as my wedding day. For those of you that, that have been married, remember back to that day. Or for those of you that are single and looking forward to that day, that's all John's trying to say. It was amazing as that one moment. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. Remember, the holy city comes down out of heaven. So here's a little bit, and I may have to get into this in future weeks. In Scripture, you'll, you'll see it talk about the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven. But really, the first heaven, he's talking about the sky, the blue sky that we see. 
and you could see that in, in um, Genesis. The next heaven, the second heaven, he's actually talking about, Scripture's talking about outer space, which is something I get really excited about. Like, I want to go explore that. The third heaven, when you see it in Scripture, it's referring to where God lives. The holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God. Verse 3 again, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among His people. Much like in the beginning. He will dwell with them. They will be His people. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. The old order... We, let me just say this, we as men and women, as imperfect people, Adam and Eve, we can blame them, but it's, it's really pointing the finger at who? At me. The old order of things, we're responsible of, like when people ask, why is this world so hard? Like why is this world so tough? Why do we have death? Why do our pets have to die? Like why do the people we love have to be hurt? It's the old order of things. We set that into motion. If you go back and read the book of Genesis, like we chose that. We chose what? Self-righteousness. If you really look and examine the words of Jesus and model and see his actions, it was the most humble, the most righteous, the most like, I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. I'm here to, I'm here to model love for you guys. I'm here to tell you about my father. And I'm here to tell you about where we're going. Verse 5 says, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said to John, and we've already talked about this, he says, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The book of Revelation, if you've never read it, it was one of my favorite books to read as a teenager. And I think it was that whole sci-fi interest in me, like explore the unknown. And a lot of people like stay away from the book of Revelation because it's like it's full of imagery. But it's incredible to dig into it. And I love that God allowed and said, no, this is, this is going to be where we finish. Like I need to give Christians, men and women who believe in me, who believe in this plan of redeeming the earth or wrapping it all up, I need to give you, I need, he, needs to, he wants to give us a heads up because he loves us. It's not meant to scare us. Like, it's not meant to be scary. It's meant to say, okay, if I read this, I can recognize what's happening. I can see why things are happening. Verse 6 says, He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Victorious means in this sense, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have fun, like we shouldn't like enjoy the sporting events, like we shouldn't enjoy the Super Bowl, like I'm not saying that, like I think we should. We're having man camp on an island in a few weeks, and literally the coolest thing is going to be walking away with that trophy, like making fun of all your friends who didn't get it. Like, we should have fun while we're here. But it's just saying in comparison to, to this life that Christ is like pulling us heavenward for, 
He's, he's just trying to say, he's not trying to make us feel bad. He's trying to say, guys, you have no idea what's ahead. Like, you have no idea what's ahead. Verse 8, and it's interesting that he uses this word, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, let me stop there before I read the rest. I, I think he uses the word cowardly because it gets harder in the end times. Um, just much like we're starting to experience today, it's going to be harder to actually be a Christian. We'll probably be lumped in with all what you'd say is mentally unstable and they just need something to believe in to make them feel better. And Like I've heard all of those words before, by the way. Like it's for people that, that are making something up so that they'll have hope. It's, it's going to actually get harder to be a Christian as we live out the end times and as we approach those. So he uses the word because it takes courageousness. He uses the word, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. He gives us a warning. And let me just say this. He does not want this. God does not want this for anyone. Like, that's not his will. He doesn't want anyone to burn in a fiery lake. But the second part of this description, the sentence says, the unbelieving. Right? When I was in college, this was probably the number one thing I had to sort through. And even my sister, she's even more strong-headed than me, if you can believe it. Um, and and she's, actually, she's actually probably more loving than me, that, so she has both. But she had to sort it out with me because I wanted, in college, I wanted everybody to like me, right? I wanted everybody to think I was, like, fun, the life of the party. Like, who doesn't want that, right? You want people to like you. You want to have friends. Uh, but I started to encounter several different religions and beliefs. And, and then I heard this. How come you Christians believe that your, your Jesus is the only way to heaven? Like, isn't that narrow-minded? And I thought, yeah, I guess it is. It's kind of narrow-minded was my first reaction. Because it, it does, right? It sounds narrow-minded. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like, and then so I started learning about Hinduism. And I started learning about all these other religions, and I didn't put stock in them. I didn't. I believed what I had. I believed God's word, and I believed what I knew was true. I believed what even I had to live out and test for myself. But I had trouble discounting these other religions at that time. I wasn't bold or courageous in my faith, so I, didn't, I just didn't want to go there with them. I didn't, I didn't want to say, no, your, your way is not the way. I'm sorry. You're going to be in the fiery lake of of sulfur. Who wants to say that to other people? And so my sister and I had months-long conversations about this, right? And you guys have wrestled with this, or maybe you haven't. But the conclusion is where we landed is it's not God's will. It's not God's will. He is just trying to say, you guys already chose self-righteousness in the beginning. You already chose your way. And then I flooded the earth, right? The, the children's story of Noah. And then I flooded the earth to give you a second chance. And he said, you guys kind of blew that one too, by the way. <laughs> so then I sent my son. And I sent my son 
He is the only way. He died on the cross for our sins. And he says, but now you get to choose. Like you get to choose. I, I want all of you, his children. We're all his children. He wants all of us in heaven with him. But now it's, it's on us. We have to choose. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, is talking about during the end time. This is in the future. It is, it is a literal interpretation. This will happen. He said, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away to the spirit, to the spirit, to a mountain great and high. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And this isn't Jerusalem as in the actual city of Jerusalem. He's not describing our Jerusalem here on earth being the heaven. He's just, John is trying to say, this is the holy city as we would say Jerusalem is our holy city. It's where Christ came from. It's, he's just trying to like connect some dots for us visually. Verse 11 says, It shone the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. So John is, a lot of this imagery, you're going to feel like maybe this, for guys in the room, you're going to feel, is this too flowery? Like, is, are we really like focused on the crystal and the gold and the jasper and those sorts of things? And John is just trying to say, it's just incredible. Like, it's just incredible. So let me read through it. It's shown with the glory of God. He's talking about the holy city where God, God resides. And its brilliance was like that of the very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates. And with the 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me, so he's ta the angel's talking to John. John is writing this down with me, had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, so just think it's organized. It's intentional. Like it's planned out. My father's house had many rooms. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. That's basically 1,400 square miles. And for those of you that can visualize a map, the distance from Mexico to Canada, from the Appalachians to California, is wide as it, as it is high and long. And this is just the holy city. Like this is just the holy city. Like, we're not talking about like what my heart kind of beams for, the holy city, and then everything is redeemed. Everything is restored at this time. This is a point in the future where time as we know it, it, it is resolved. Like, it no longer exists. Like, this, this timeline that we've been living as humans, where it's... It's somehow connected to God's time where a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. We don't understand this sort of thing. But in heaven, he resolves all of that. And he says, now we're on new time. It's a new heaven and a new earth. And it is for eternity. 
Heaven is big. It is beautiful. It is secure. It has high walls on a mountain, great and high like that. I think that might be just the, the man thing inside of me. Like, I'm so excited that it's on a mountain. Like, I started thinking, at, like, how tall is Everest? Like, I wonder if it's on a mountain as tall as Everest, like 29,000 feet. And surely he'll have the oxygen problem fixed for us, right? Or maybe K2, the second tallest mountain on the earth, 28,000 square, 28,000 feet high. Like, I love this. I wonder if we get to like rappel down this mountain with this infinite heaven rope, you know, that will never break. Or free climb it because we're not worried about di- Actually, free climb would be amazing up there because you're not going to die, right? So we'll get to free climb in heaven. Sorry. I'm geeking right now. No distraction. No exhaustion. No fatigue. No fear. No loneliness. No boredom. I'm excited about this last part. I'm excited about it because it's actually answered some of my questions that I've had. Why did God put the tree of knowledge in the center of the Garden of Eden? You've heard me ask that question before. And I said I was going to ask God about that. Because he puts the tree of center of knowledge in the middle of the Garden of Eden. Then he says what? He said, you can't touch this one. And, they, and we did what? <laughs> we were right to it. And by the way, it's the man's fault. It's not Eve's fault. And the man actually let Eve eat the apple. Jesus is standing there. I don't know. Try it. Maybe we'll see what happens. He's like, she's the one that's going to get in trouble. <laughs> I mean, that's a man for you. Passive. Like, no. Men, we got to man up and go, no, we're not supposed to eat that. You have no idea what's going to happen. Like, don't do it. <laughs> Eden restored. I love this part. Revelation 22, 1 through 5, it talks about the new Eden. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down to the middle of the great street of the city. Imagine this river flowing through your favorite city on top of the highest mountain in the most incredible place. Like this river is a symbol of life. On each side of this river, so this is where it, it amazingly contrasts against the original Garden of Eden. On each side of this river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. There, no, there are no seasons there anymore. You don't have to wait for the harvest. Like it's, it's every month. He's trying to describe an abundance And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and no longer will there be any curse, the curse that we brought upon ourselves. The throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in this city, and His servants will serve Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun. The Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. I read a description of heaven this week, and I don't know who wrote it, but I'd like to share it. It says, man has never known a community unmarred by sin. Adam and Eve only knew for a limited time of community, and community in a larger context only came long after the fall. Here in the new heaven, or the new Jerusalem, as Scripture calls it, we have something totally unique. We, 
And it's so hard for us to imagine because we've never, we've never had this. A sinless, pure community of righteousness. A holy city. Go back and read Revelation 21 through 22. Like, go back and read it for yourself. Read all the way through the book of Revelation. I think if you're anxious about right now what's happening in our country, if you're anxious about, like, we're getting locked down, we're being let up, we're getting locked down, like, my world is what? Completely different. If you're anxious about the future, I say read through. Read through 20, Revelation 21 and 22 again. And just trust that God, he's, he's trying to point us heavenward. He's trying to pull us heavenward to say, I promise you, it's going to be amazing. Like, it's going to be amazing. I get excited every time I read it. For those of you that know Jesus, that walk with him and are in his word, like every now and then, let's just remind each other that we're on our way to heaven, right? On our, on our bad days, on the days where we don't feel very Christ-like or hopeful, or let's just take some time out a few brothers this week that, that really encouraged me and, and reminded me like we're here on mission. We're on our way to heaven. It doesn't mean we're not going to have crazy tough stuff hit us because we are matter of fact that's why these words were shared with us just like today john was living in a time of persecution he was actually in prison on an island when he wrote these words when god gave him the revelation so for those of you that feel more like that like, I don't, I don't know this Jesus. Like, I don't know if I can believe the words. I just feel like I've been in a prison and I feel like I'm isolated here. These words are for you also. And my prayer is that Christ becomes real for you. My prayer is that heaven becomes real for you. And even if you have a million doubts in your mind and in your soul, that you'll say, I'll take one step in faith and just trust, like, God, reveal yourself more to me. Let's pray. Father, I am asking you to make yourself real for believers in this room who know your Son. For those who have not taken that step yet, I ask that you make yourself so very real for them now. Let your words in your scripture become tangible, become transformative in their lives. Father, thank you for allowing them to change me. Thank you for the mirror that they are in my life, even today to call me back to you and your purpose and your plan. Father, we humble ourselves before you. We give our lives to you, all of us. 
Father, let us get a glimpse of heaven in one another because Jesus is living through us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Please be seated. I've got two quick things I want to share with you. I want to say thank you. Thank you for being here in the church. Thank you for investing in what God is doing here. Um, let me say this first before I make announcements. If you've made a decision today to follow Christ, um, I'd love to talk with you, love to pray with you, love to give you a couple of things, some next steps. If you've recommitted, I'd love to talk to you. Um, I'm, always, I'm always praying for you in that. I'm always praying for our community, for those decisions. Um, here's something awesome, and unapologetically, let me just say this. November 6th through 8th, every man that's on this island, I want you guys to sign up to be a part of man camp that's happening on, on the remote part of Woody Island, ranch camp. And the reason is, if you don't enjoy camping and you, it's like, no, nah, it doesn't sound like fun to me, we're going to have competition. The reason is we're trying to bring heaven for those guys who don't know what heaven looks like. We're trying to show them we can have a blast and make it amazing and just be men bold men of God, and encourage one another to connect brothers. So every man in our church, we actually have three other churches that are joining us now, maybe four. Every man in our church, I'd love to see you there. And it doesn't matter if you're 18 or 80, like we have something for you. Um, so that's unapologetic. So I'll say this, no excuses, just get there. Right? All right, men? No excuses. The second thing, uh, we're actually heading there this weekend for some guys that just want to come help us work and put up. So some of the events, I'll say this, uh, archery, um, axe throwing. We're actually going to chop some logs in half. Um, and you're going to do this on teams. So there will be like five to seven, maybe ten teams of guys, and we're competing against each other for trophies that are actually incredible. Um, so we need some help, though, installing some of these things. I don't want to give it away. There's one event called Bridge Over River Kwai that's actually pretty amazing, and it takes, like, all the guys' efforts, mental abilities as well as physical abilities. That's, a, that's the only thing I could share with you to get through this challenge. Um, think sea kayak races, and I'm hoping for 30-foot seas that day, right? Right? Amen, Coast Guard. We've got to keep these guys busy somehow, um, so may as well be for a good cause. Um, so I'm kidding. Maybe 15 foot C's would be better. Like just a little white caps is all I'm asking for. Um, sorry. I like adrenaline if you can't tell L like that. Um, but this, this weekend's a work day. So it's actually a free, if you want to come over and camp with us on Friday night, we'll be in the cabins and just working together on different fun projects on Saturday. Um, there's actually one, uh, deck that we, we actually want to remove also from the main lodge. Um, that needs to be replaced. So it's actually pretty easy. We remove the boards and we're done. Uh, maybe we can use them for the bonfire, the big bonfire on Saturday night. Last thing I'll say about man camp, um, and I don't like to promote things um, because it feels weird, but I'm, I, wanna, I need to promote this. Guys, we're, pastors aren't leading this event. Like we're not coming up there to teach more. It's not a pastor event. These are men who have been in the trenches, who do not have position in churches to share how God got a hold of them. Former Marines, former Hells Angels. It's not always PG-13, but I'm praying that God uses it. Um, come hear their testimony. Come hear how, how God got a hold of them. There's a few um, sharing sessions. 
And then this last thing I'm super excited about, we have a former Master Chief, I think, Navy SEAL, coming to demonstrate uh, sniper, um, sniper abilities with us. And he's not the one shooting. It's going to be one of us, maybe. We'll see. Um, so we scouted that out. It's phenomenal. It's going to be an incredible weekend. And I promise you, if you bring all the dudes on your block, you, you will be like, I should have brought more. Because it's just going to be a fun time. And, and I promise you, it's, I'm not over-promising and under-delivering. It's actually the opposite. So love you guys. I'll stop there. Middle school ministry. Um, we've actually got several of us leaders having a ton of fun with middle school age um, kiddos, students starting tomorrow night here at the church is our first night, 5.30. So come and drop your kids off with us. Uh, Mom and Dad, you get a free date night maybe out of it. Um, come drop your kids off. We promise we're going to have a blast together, and we're going to dig into God's Word. So that's it. Small groups. Oh, yeah. If you haven't joined a small group or a home group, many of you have. Sign up online. Jump into a small group. Ours actually starts this week. We thought we were starting last week. Starts this week. Uh, love you guys. Jump in. Let me pray, and we'll get out of here. Father, we love you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for what you're doing here. Thank you for your love. Father, thank you for heaven. Thank you for, for taking John up to see it for himself, to give us a firsthand account. And I pray that you make it real in everyone's hearts that hear and read your scripture. We love you. Be with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.